Okay, so <clears throat> what would it take for you to do it? How many of you want to do it right now? How many, how many of you ready? Okay. Okay, so I've got an airplane fueled up at RJ Corman's right now. Who's ready to go? You're liars, you're lying. I know half of you are lying. All right. <laughs> so what would it take for you to do this? Seriously, I want to know. What would it take, Bill, what would it take for you to do this? You would have to pay me to watch the video again. <laughs> All right, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay. <laughs> Joey, what would it take? Well, I was wondering why they didn't dive off the Burj Khalifa. Why didn't they, the, in Dubai. The, why didn't they just go for the tallest <laughs> building? Yeah, yeah I, I guess they couldn't get permission that day. I don't know. I don't know. All right, you two back here. This, I'm scared to put the microphone in front, but we'll try it. All right. That's one of those things where I would go right up to the edge, and at the last minute I would need Mike to push me. <laughs> So I can't go by myself, but if he'd go with me and push me, I'd be fine. Did you see that, where they held that one guy by his feet and let him go? Okay. Yeah. And Mike would push her and follow her if the building was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so the building would have to, you'd have to have a lot of motivation to, to get going. Yes, what would it take? I think to truly answer your question, the only way I could absolutely do that is if one of my family members' life depended on it. Okay. But then I would assume I was going to die anyway during the whole thing. Like, I, I heard somebody saying this earlier. That's a great point. That, like, why are they wearing helmets, right? The helmet's wearing them, right? I mean, let's be honest. Charlotte, what? Just needed to be paid for. <laughs> Got to get paid for it. Okay. I'll go. Oh, somebody else has to pay for you to do it. Oh, you're, you're ready. You're ready. Okay. It's kind of interesting how often we see things like that, things that maybe we're kind of touch on this fear within us, right? About, would I really do that? Like, that's high, right? That's, and that's just a video. I don't know if you really, but this is a significant, right, trust. Like, you'd have to trust some things, I would think, right? Would, I'd want to trust the person who packed my parachute, right? Wouldn't you want to know who that was and make sure that they actually knew what they were doing, right? Parachutes, right? But at some point, you got to trust somebody, right? Like, they weren't there when the building was built to make sure that the building would stay, right? They couldn't be there. They couldn't be there when they put that little platform out there, right? At some point, it takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of trust. Have you ever had somebody tell you that you couldn't do something? Yes. Or that you, there's no way you should do something? When I was, I'll never forget this, when I was getting ready to graduate from college, um, I was a I was a student at college. I wasn't the best student in college. I enjoyed my college experience, we'll say it that way. Um, and uh, it took me a long time to kind of, I changed my major about 874 times. And it took me a long time to kind of figure out what God was up to in my life. And, and so um, it, I was kind of late jumping into the, the major, it was religion. And, and um, I'll never forget my senior year, I was getting ready to graduate. It was like, the beginning of my last semester. And so I went into my advisor to make sure that I had all the requirements needed, right? So he's checking off the list, just making sure that I'm actually going to graduate. He's praying, please let him, please let him be done. And uh, he's checking things off. And he, he just kind of asked me, he just kind of, you know, so, so what are you going to do? What do you think you'll do after graduation? And I said, I said, well, I think, I think I'm going to go to seminary. And I'll never forget, he had the little reading glasses on. He stopped and he goes, he looked up. He goes, really? And then he just went right back to it. 
So that was an incredible boost of confidence, right? That <laughs> I can do it. There's a guy, his name is Fred Smith. Maybe you've heard of Fred Smith. You probably have, even if you don't know his name. It's a kind of common name, of course. But Fred Smith, when he went to college, his very last year, he had to take this class. He was a business major. had to take this class. It's an entrepreneur class. And this college that he went to, the GAL University, perhaps you've heard of it, um, in order for you to make it through the program, you've got to pass this class. It's a senior capstone class, and it's a class on entrepreneurship. You have to come up with a business plan that actually works. And if you don't, you fail the class and you don't get to graduate. And so it's obviously a lot of pressure, a lot of big deal. So he submits this business proposal. He loves it. He's excited about it. He submits this business proposal. And then when he gets it back, he gets a C on it, and it says at the top, I don't think this will ever work. What a confidence. Now, that business plan became what's now FedEx. Perhaps you've heard of that company. He's done pretty well, right? Kind of interesting. Now, there's a few bumps along the way, but it's interesting, right, that often we hear the story. So today we're going to talk about a story. I want to jump into a story about a young man who had no business doing what God had him called to do. So it's this story from 1 Samuel. It's a story about David. And you guys probably heard it before, but I, I'm just going to give you a little context before we jump into it. Now, just so we're clear, God has some people, right? He chose some people, not that they'd be special, that they'd be extra protected, that they have a secret handshake. He chose them so that they could share with the world that, who he is, okay? That was their job. And so he made them a little different, <laughs> okay? That's, and they're the Israelites, okay? And those people at one point said, you know what? We really want a physical person to be in charge of us. We don't want to just listen to you. We want a physical person. We want a king. And so God said, this is not going to work out good, but you really want it? So fine, I'll give you that. And so he puts in place this king named Saul. Now Saul, uh, at first things go great, but just like God kind of knew things would go, he starts to choose his way over God's way. And it doesn't work out very good. So here we are at this point in the story where God is really frustrated with Saul, and he's kind of done with him. And he has this prophet, his name's Samuel. A prophet is just somebody who has a really close relationship with God, who God would speak to, and that person would share with the people what God's heart was. And so Samuel, he goes to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, it's time for a new king. You're going to find this new king, and you're going to go to this little bitty town that raises sheep called Bethlehem. You're going to go there, and you're, there's a guy named Jesse, and I want you to, you're going to pick one of his sons. And so we're going to pick up in the story here what happens. So do we have it here? Verse 4. Okay, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him, because he's a prophet of God. And sometimes when the prophet comes, it's not a good word, and so they're scared to death. What's wrong? They said, do you come in peace? Please. <laughs> yes, Samuel said, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come to me with the sacrifice. Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, who was one of Jesse's sons, his oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now we're going to pause one second right there. We could stop right there and just, just let that rest on us for a week, right? That, that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, that he looks at the heart. And I want you to hold on to that for a minute. But it becomes really important in the story to recognize that what Samuel's doing, he's looking at these sons of Jesse. And he's the first and oldest, in case you don't know that culture, 
the oldest son is always the one who gets the blessing, right? So the way it would work is you, your oldest son, when, when the father passed away, he would give his possessions and most of everything he had to the oldest son. The oldest son's responsibility would be to carry on the family name. So he starts there. He thinks, surely this is the one. This is going to be easy. It's going to be the oldest son. He looks at him, and God says, no, 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 not him. Now we'll keep going because God's looking at the heart here, like I said. So then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemael, who's another one of the sons. Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, can you back up one real quick? The Lord has not chosen any of these. Oh, for seven. Now, you'll notice something really that becomes really important here. All seven. But Jesse had how many sons? Eight. David, who's getting ready to be called on here, wasn't even thought of. Like, the oh really, my advisor gave me, right? Oh really? Just, David isn't even in the picture at all. Okay, so keep going. Samuel asks, are these, go to the next slide please, are these all the sons you have? This, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. It was dark. He was, he was dark and handsome, beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, a couple things that I want to make sure you're, you're grabbing here. David was this afterthought. He was the youngest. He wasn't even in the house. He wasn't even around. When, when Jesse kind of got a picture about what was going on, David wasn't somebody that he even thought had a chance. Right? But sure enough, David was somebody that he wanted. The message that we hear all the time in our world and our culture is we're not enough. You're, you guys know, whatever the excuses is, whatever the, whatever the thing is, you know it in your heart, right? You're, you're too old, you're too young. You're not, you're not good enough to do this. You're, you can't really make a difference. We hear these voices again and again and again and again and again. But God says something different. He says you can't. He says, I've called you. I've gifted you. I've dreamed in you something big. We've talked about this a little bit before here, but just to revisit for a second. In Jesus' day, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Every, everybody, every scholar agrees on that, that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And in his day, that he would, he would call a Jewish rabbi. One of the things they did was call some people to follow him. These were called disciples is the word we use, and we translate that. And, and their job, they, typically this happened about the age of 16 or 17 years old, their job was to leave everything behind and follow the rabbi wherever he went. Anywhere he went, that was your job, to follow him, leave everything else. And your one job was to try to become exactly like the rabbi. Okay, your job was to take on his very character, everything about him, the, the way that he interpreted the world, the way that he acted and behaved, all the ways that he lived out faith. That's what you were supposed to emulate. And this would take a long time, usually like 15 years. 
And their job was to become just like the rabbi. Now, what the three most powerful words a rabbi could ever say, we've talked about this before, come follow me. Come follow me. If a rabbi said, come follow me, this is really important, stay with me. If a rabbi said, come follow me, then he meant this. I believe you have what it takes to become just like me. Now, if you've read the Gospels before, then you know that Jesus went to 12 young men and said, come follow me. Because he believed they had what it takes to become just like him. And by the way, they were kind of a ragtag group of people, but that's another story for another day. But I'm going to make a jump here, and I want you to stay with me, that if you're here today and you've heard this story, then Jesus is saying to you, come follow me. And that means something really important. Wherever you are today, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but wherever you are today, that stay with me. Jesus believes you have what it takes. Let me say it again. Jesus believes you have what it takes. You. You. You have what it takes to become like him. Now, some, some people already hear the voices, right? Well, you don't know what I've done in the past. You don't really know my heart, Brian, or you wouldn't say that. Well, guess what? I don't say it anyway. Jesus says it. He believes that you have what it takes to begin to become like him in your very character and who you are. But apparently, most people in our world listen to the other voices more than this voice of Jesus that says, come follow me. This is just one. There are many stats, but this is one that kind of stood out to me as I was kind of studying and thinking about this. The Bureau of Labor in the United States does this study every year about how many people, like how are they employed and what do they do with their time and things like that. And it turns out that one in four of us in the United States In 2014, one in four people volunteer their time at least once to serve somewhere. That means three out of four people in the United States, not one time in the entire year, volunteer to serve at a church, a school, a food pantry. (laughs) Do you get this? Like, for whatever reason, apparently we've bought into this voice that says, you can't make a difference. Whatever God's given you to do, the dreams he's dreamed in you, apparently we've settled to say, I guess I can't really make a difference. I guess it doesn't matter the gifts I've been given. I guess it doesn't matter what God's called me to, because I, it, what difference does it make? Apparently we've chosen to listen to that voice instead of this voice that says, come, follow So here, stay with me, because this is the big thing right here. It takes a leap. At some point, we have to trust that God is who he says he is. If you think about David just for a second, at some point, David had to take the leap and trust that God knew what he was up to. That God was doing something. Did you catch the very last sentence that I just read? After Samuel anointed David, just imagine this picture. Okay, big ceremony, all the stuff. Is it you? No, 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 no. Yes, it's David. He anoints him. He pours oil over his head. literally runs down his whole body, right? But a lot of oil. Dumps it on him. He's anointing him. And then it says, and then Samuel left and went to another town. 
And what did David do? David had to go back to the sheep and shepherd some more because it wasn't time yet. Apparently, David had to take a leap because it didn't make sense that the youngest son would be chosen. We have to take a leap, too. Maybe not as high as the video we saw. But we've got to take... Part of what it means to follow Jesus means we have to be willing to trust, to take this leap. Because whether you realize it, whether you've encountered this moment yet or not, whether you've really lived up to this, whether you've encountered or pushed against this yet or not, there will be a day when you don't have all the answers. There will be a time when all your questions will not be answered. And part of what it means to be a Christian means that you are a leaper, that you took the chance and said, I'm going to trust that God is good anyway. I'm going to trust that he actually rose from the dead. I'm, I'm going to take a leap and believe that maybe, maybe that Jesus really does call me. Maybe Jesus really does believe in me. I'm going to take the leap. I'm going I'm to trust it. It takes a leap. Just, it takes trust. You have to, at some point, you're not going to have all the answers. If you had all the answers, God wouldn't be God. <laughs> you with me? So if you're a Christian, if you're here today and you're following Jesus, that means at some point you've taken a leap. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, so focus here for a second. If you accept one thing, then you reject something else. If you reject one thing, you accept, accept something else. So not only if you're a Christian are you a leaper, but even if you're in here today and you say, I don't believe in Jesus, guess what? You're a leaper too. You trust something as well. So some people will say, well, I don't believe in God, this, this God. I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in some, some other God. Fine, that's fine, but you've trusted something else. You trust someone else. Some people say, well, no, no, no. I don't, I don't believe in anything. I don't, I don't trust any of that stuff. Fine, that's fine. But your God is skepticism. Or maybe you say, well, it doesn't make sense to me. I need it to make sense. It's all got to add up. I've got to have it processed. I can't make the leap because all that stuff in the Bible, all that stuff doesn't make sense to me. Fine, that's fine. If you don't believe, then your God is you and your reason and your trust. At some point, you trust you. you we all take a leap. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, that maybe the atheist has... The, incredible faith of their own because it's not faith in Jesus but what they have faith in is that they can't make sense of things and so they choose not to believe it or maybe maybe they're a materialist I don't know if you know what this is but this is a lot of atheists are materialists and that means that they don't believe anything they can't sense with their five senses right sight touch hear taste smell and this person, I think, has incredible faith because that means that when they encounter beauty, when they encounter nature, when they encounter things that don't always make sense but somehow are beautiful and wonderful, that those things are just accidents. And they just kind of happen. That takes incredible faith. Are you with me here? That no matter where you are, you're a leaper. The question isn't if you're leaping. We're all trusting in something. We all have a worldview. We all have a faith of some kind, whether we can articulate it or not. The question isn't, are you leaping? The question is, who are you following? At the core of what the story that we find ourselves in, the core of what this tells us is simply this, that 
that Jesus has a better way. And the invitation is to trust him, to follow in that way. The story we find ourselves in, I think, is one that says that there is beauty in this world that cannot be simply explained by it just happened. Have you, have you ever walked outside and paid attention? Have you seen that flower in the field and gone, look, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. We don't talk about these kinds of things, right? Like, we're, this is a factory town. We don't cry. We don't show emotions. And we don't say things are pretty, right? This is, <laughs> it's a, it's where, it's the, you know, this is, we don't hug people. This is, right, this is the world I, I grew up have you been in that moment, though, where you've seen something and just gone, that is beautiful in a way I can't explain? Or how about this? Maybe you've been in a relationship or seen a relationship between a couple that you can't explain, right? It doesn't make sense. Like, how did those two people find each other and fall in love and, and get married? Like, how in the world did that happen? I don't know, but it works and it's beautiful and Right? To say somehow that's some kind of accident? I just... I think the story we find ourselves in is also a story that says this. That I don't know if you've experienced this, but if I give myself... Stay with me. If I give myself away, if, I, if I'm willing to sacrifice the things that I would choose all on my own in order to serve and help others, that somehow I experience this incredible joy, this incredible life that says something is so much better. I believe that the story we find ourselves in is one that says that forgiveness is better than holding on to anger and bitterness and living that kind of life, right? And, and so what we find in Scripture is this really interesting picture that Jesus gets really excited about people with incredible faith because the story we find ourselves in calls us to something better. It takes a leap. Yes, I'm, I'm not challenging that at all. But we all leap. The question again is, who are you going to follow? I want to show you one snapshot of what this looks like. We're going to work on this next week a little bit too, but I want to show you one snapshot of what this looks like. About, we talked about Jesus and how he called people to follow him, and he had these 12 disciples. You, you've heard of these guys before. And their job, remember, they left everything, left moms, dads, anything they had at home, jobs, whatever. They left it to follow this rabbi. To, to try to become exactly like him. Now, here's one snapshot of this kind of encounter that I want you to see somebody taking a leap. So we're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14 with me. Starting in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes, the story tells us. Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So they're talking about the, the Sea of Galilee is the lake that they're right by. And the, the disciples would have grown up around this lake. Some of them we know were fishermen, so they've fished in this lake. They know it really well. To row across this lake, I don't know, maybe you've been there, it wouldn't take you that long on a normal nice day, an hour, maybe two at the most, and you're there. Okay, so, and these are experienced people in boats, so they're kind of used to this. After sending them home, Jesus went up under the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. So you kind of get this picture, right? That the storm is up. Has anybody ever been in a boat when it's in a storm? Okay, a few people. Okay, you know that there's this moment where you realize, I am not in control. <laughs> but I'm going to try hard anyway and try not to wet my pants. Okay, so there, this is kind of the picture. About 3 o'clock in the morning. Next slide. About 3 o'clock in the morning. 
So you get the idea that they've been rowing, they've been at this for a long time. Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, I love that that sentence ends right there. Not like, and you won't believe what happened. Jesus was walking, just like Jesus was walking on the water, you know, period. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not the big point of the story, though. This is even better, right? So when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they're terrified. That makes sense. And they cry out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Now, check this sentence out. Then Peter, you know the context of this. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Why did he say, tell me to come to you? Because he wanted desperately to be exactly where his rabbi was. He wanted desperately to follow so closely. And he said, if you're doing that, then I want to do that. And if you've called me, you've said that you believe that I have what it takes to follow you, then call me out there. It takes a leap. And Peter jumps out of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out, grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? You see what's going on in the story? Peter when he started, he said, God, Jesus, if that's you, call me. I'm going to step out of this boat. I'm going to follow you. Because you've said I've got what it takes. I'm following. And guess what? When he walked out of the boat, did it work? Yeah. But then he started seeing everything around him, right? He started listening to the voices. He heard it again and again. You can't do this. Do you know who you are? Do you know how much you weigh? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> All these, like he heard all those. Can we just be honest just for a minute? I just want, to, I just want you to pause. I, this is just between you and God in your heart. Do you hear those voices? This, for some of us, okay, for some of us, even if we've been Christians for a long time, we still have to keep taking these leaps. We still have to keep trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And we hear these voices all the time. You can't do that. What you do, what you do doesn't make any difference whatsoever. You don't matter. What if, what if Jesus is who he says he is? What if he really is calling you and believes in you and says, you know what, I know it takes faith, but I believe you have what it takes to follow to live this life of love, to serve others, to give yourself up in such a way. Look, what if Jesus really did weave you together in such a perfect way? For this place and this time, he's called you to do something very specific. Some of us can name that right now. Some of us know we're fighting it, we're running from it. Some of us have tried to embrace it. God's gifted you with some things. You are you. you. Nobody else is you. I know people talk about this all the time when you're little, but it's true. Nobody else is you, and God made you that way specifically for a reason. He's placed you where you are for a reason. 
The question is, will you take the leap and trust that he really does believe you have what it takes? As we wrap up, we're going to sing a song here in just a second, and the guys can come, um, guys and gals can come. We're going to sing a song. This is Jesus Messiah. The invitation today is to take the leap after Jesus, to trust that maybe he is who he says he is, to trust that he's called you to something. What if you took that leap? Maybe it's something small. Maybe it was just something simple like, you know what? I'm pretty good with kids. Maybe I could help out once a month at my church or at the school my kids go to. Or or maybe I could just, I I don't know what I can do, but I can pack a box of food. So this week is food pantry packing, uh, Justman County Food Pantry. Maybe you could just show, maybe that's, I don't know what God's calling you into. I don't know what God's gifted you with, but can I say to you, he has. And part of what it means to follow in this way of Jesus, part of what it means to take this leap is to live into that. So as we sing this last song together, they're going to sing and, and you're invited to join them. But I just want you to spend some time just asking that question. Am I living into what God's called me to? Have I taken that leap to say God's called me to something great? Have I taken that leap to follow him? Or am I listening to these other voices? The story we find ourselves in is one that opens you up to incredible things. To not settle. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We pray that as we sing together and as we spend some time just reflecting on who you are, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We know the messages that we hear over and over again say, you're too young, you're too old, you're not good enough, you can't. But God, I pray that today in this moment, you would help us to somehow trust and hear you say, come follow me. I believe you have what it takes. Help us to hear that, not just in our head, but in our heart. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you.